uh, the, the best description I think of a startup is you're jumping out of an airplane. You have no clue how to use the parachute and mm-hmm. you're, you've, you've just jumped out and you have to figure it out before you hit the ground. And so there's no kind of roadmap. There's no guidebook. Likely no one's done it the exact way before you. And so um, in some ways you kind of have to be a kamikaze. You know, I think some ways if you overanalyze like um, maybe the goals, then you, you take a little bit of the soul out of it. I think you need a little bit of both. I've seen founders that work really hard but they're working really, really hard on the wrong problem. Uh-oh. Hot brethren and sistren, this is your favorite host, Joel Byers, and you know what time it is. Hot breath. Oh, that old warm sound on a cold winter day. Hello, hot breath Welcome to another episode, Hot Breath episode number 116, OMG. And you picked a winner of an episode to hop in on. If this is your first time listening, welcome aboard. If this is your 116th time listening, welcome back. I am so jazzercised about today's guest. I like to interview people from everywhere comedians, photographers, club owners, blah, 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 blah. But today, I'm interviewing a straight-up entrepreneur OG. The gentleman I'm interviewing today started Scout Mob. He has so much wealth of information from building such a successful company and also a wealth of information from so many failures before that. That is an important part of anything we do so I not only wanted to talk about his success with Scout Mob and Switchyards, but also the failures that built up to this. So you're going to get a little bit of everything today. If you do enjoy it, all I ask of you, just simply share it. I won't even ask for an iTunes review. If you want to, that's great. But literally, just telling a friend, telling a coworker who's hearing you listen to this over the cubicle. Be like, hey, by the way, I'm listening to Hot Breath Podcast. It's actually really funny and informative you should tune in the host is a little weird his intros kind of ramble on but other than that pretty dope anyway i don't know your neighbor may be andrew jackson you're like hey andrew jackson tune in or not i was challenged to say the word andrew jackson in the intro by someone on my instagram live shannon fane so there you go shannon anyway let's get on with the hot breath episode thank you for your time let's dive in to another guest whose time is extremely valuable. So we will go ahead and share that with you now. And you know from listening before, there's only one thing left to do, and that is inhale a hot breath with Michael we'll just do a, Tavani. Yeah. We made it. Oh, I could put the shirt in it. Do you want to get the shirt? The shirt. the shirt in it. Brand brand on fleek. Nice. All right. Yeah, I know you're big on brand <laughs> and design. And you say that's like the most important kind of element of a, a company, especially now. Yep, I think so. I think so. Yeah, I got a lot of thoughts on that. I was wondering, I was like, I thought you might, but then you just went, yeah. I, <laughs> I, I mean, I think so. I don't know. It's only... You know the pillar of everything. That's all. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? <laughs> on 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 brand. Um, all right. So. Uh, oh boy. I don't even know where to start here. I got so many places to go. Um, I think my first thought on brand in in the era that we live in now is mm-hmm. that look look what we're doing right now. Like we're you're we're recording a podcast with a couple hundred dollars worth of equipment. And and you'll distribute this thing, you know, on the Internet. And and if the if the content's good, like anyone in the world potentially can like listen to this. So Mm -hmm. I think the barriers in 2017, almost 2018 now between content creator and consumer are lower than they've ever been. Right. So 50 years ago, if you um, wanted to do something like this, you needed to work for a radio station. You needed to be the. You know, you needed to have made it and been the, you know, the, uh, you know, announcer or or uh, whatever radio DJ or radio host to be able to like have distribution to the world. Mm-hmm. And you, by the way, you didn't even have distribution to the world. You had it to like your town maybe on, on radio. 
And uh, so nowadays, I, I, you know, and I, like YouTube's a good example. Podcasts are great examples. Now, what's interesting is let's, let's go to the next level, which is, okay, now that means anyone for a couple hundred bucks can have a podcast or a YouTube channel or whatever. Good or bad. So quality still wins. So this, you know, it, it was, you could have argued a few years ago, whoever was the savviest person to like go pick up the mics and, and have the idea to do a podcast. And then they had distribution. Those early adopters probably benefited. Early YouTubers, early podcasters benefited. But now there's a lot of noise. But good stuff always rises to the top. So you know what I find amazing is I'll come into the office and and I'll ask, you know, guys I work with or people in switchyards, I'll be like, you know, did you read this blog post? Did you see this video? Uh, something that's interesting where the quality is really good. And everyone has like seen it or read it or heard it or listened to it. And so the good stuff gets passed around hmm. and there's a lot of noise. And so the bad stuff doesn't. So your stuff has to be good. But uh, the reason why brand matters is because now we all have distribution. So that's not even a thing that you have to worry about anymore. Like, oh, how am I going to distribute this? What you have to worry about now, which is great for content creators and, and brand people, is your stuff's got to be good. So, so focus all of your energies on that. And you used to have to focus on the stuff has to be good and I need distribution. And maybe the distribution is more important than the stuff having to be good. Now it's the stuff has to be really good and then dis- distributing it, like, you know, upload it to SoundCloud or YouTube or wherever. Well, even being here at Switchyards, you work with so many different companies. And even with your consumer shows, you have so many companies coming in and just pitching their ideas to people. What are some common mistakes or kind of maybe mishaps people have a lot of the time you've seen people do? Um, j- just with startups? I mean, <clears throat> startups are really hard. And I think nowadays they're sexy. Everyone wants to start a company. Exactly. They, they see, you know, uh, uh, Mark Zuckerberg on the cover of a magazine and everyone wants to be that. Or they see, more likely, they see Evan Spiegel, the founder of Snapchat, who's, you know, 25 years old. And they say, <laughs> I can, you know, I'm that guy. I can be that guy. And uh-huh. he, he started Snapchat and he's worth a ton of money and he's dating a supermodel or whatever. So everyone wants to be a startup founder now. There's a lot of tourists um, in in the startup world, meaning people who are who are interested. They're they're kind of observing. They want to be involved, but they're they're not truly kind of uh, you know make making it happen. Um, so there's there's a ton of mistakes. I'd say one thing, and I say this to to, to put a positive slant on this. Um, there's no one way to start something. So you know, I can tell my story. I love startup stories. I love listening to founders talk about their startup stories. And I've, I've, I listen to a ton of podcasts, read a lot of books, read a lot of magazines. I love kind of profiles of, of founders and how they kind of made it happen. But you can't follow anyone else's path. And so I think one of the most important things is you got to find your own kind of path. Like hmm. what worked for a podcaster five years ago wouldn't work today. What worked for, you know, I don't know, we're on Switch Arts is on Ted Turner Drive. So what worked for Ted Turner, who lives across the street, like, you know, 30, 40 years ago with CNN wouldn't work for a founder today starting something. And so I think you can learn some lessons, but I think you ultimately kind of have to find your own uh, path. If, if uh, I stopped a founder 10 seconds into them telling me their idea and said, it's not going to work, I actually <laughs> would be right 99% of the time because most ideas are not going to work. Uh-huh. So that's, that's not very constructive, though. So I've kind of learned with Switchards because I, I'm seeing so many ideas and so many founders now because this is a place where people are with ideas or hanging out and starting things that my general tone recently has been to be positive and let the results, the traction, the momentum in the real stuff happening, let that guide like how excited I am about that founder and that idea. So it's kind of like, I don't really want to hear your idea. Not that I don't like it, but just go do it. And then like, let's have coffee in a few weeks and let's see what you did. And and by the way, I'm not saying come back in three weeks with a million dollar company. Mm -hmm. I'm saying come back in three weeks and say, all right, here's what I did. I tried this uh, on like one or two people and they really kind of responded to it. I sent an email to seven friends. Six of them actually clicked the thing and went to this and that's small uh, traction, but that's like, that's gold here. And you'd be amazed how few people just in general in the startup world do those like little steps. So one thing that that um, I look for a lot is activity. So so this is the first time we've ever really like sat down. Yeah. If you pitched me an idea that you were working on, if if in a month you were like, here's what I did, and they were small things, but you did stuff, that activity is the number one indicator of founders that are going to make something happen. 
So week over week, month over month, like legitimate activity. And when I say activity, it's not working hard because it's easy to check your email. It's easy to respond to email. It's easy to be on top of, you know, your inbox or your Twitter account or whatever. That's not, that's not real activity. I mean, that's activity, but it makes you feel better, but it's not moving the needle. Like moving the needle activity for startups is, is the biggest indicator um, of, I think, of startups or founders that are onto something. Does goal setting play into that activity as well? Like having specific defined kind of benchmarks to hit? Yeah, I think what's tough about like startups is you're kind of uh, the, the best description I think of a startup is you're jumping out of an airplane. You have no clue how to use the parachute and mm-hmm. you're, you've, you've just jumped out and you have to figure it out before you hit the ground. And so there's no kind of roadmap. There's no guidebook. Likely no one's done it the exact way before you. And so um, in some ways, you kind of have to be a kamikaze. You kind of have to like just be trying things and doing things. And that's what this activity is about, almost blindly, ignorantly, naively. And at first, um, and and then you kind of figure out, what do I have here? Like, what do I really want to be? Who are my customers? I mean, you know, I think some ways if you overanalyze like um, maybe the goals, then you you take a little bit of the soul out of it. I think you need Mm -hmm. a little bit of both. I've seen founders that work really hard but they're working really, really hard on the wrong problem. And so it would have been if they took a little bit of time to say, like, what am I trying to build? Like, you know, and, and we're a little more focused on, like, what's happening here instead of just, like, I got to do stuff. I'm, I'm being a, So you can't be too much of a kamikaze. Then you're just, like, working on stuff that's not really adding up in the end. Yeah. Um, so I think, obviously, goals are important. I just read a, a, a blog post this morning talking about, daily uh moment small wins so like daily small wins is is super important to founders because it's hard to get wins but a small win could be is really small it's like you know i talked to one customer and that one customer told me this and and that that's that could be a small win but you need those kind of daily small wins so one of my piece of advice for like a founder would be optimize for like daily small wins because you're going to get punched in the face a lot you need to kind of try to get some daily small ones. It could be like a, I don't know, a, a graphic that you post on Instagram that makes you feel better and it kind of does something for your brand. That could be a small win. Well, coming from someone like you who you had skyblocks, when you're talking about jumping out of the airplane and hitting the ground, you came soup, You came within five feet of just smashing on the ground with your company <laughs> skyblocks. But then you had the wherewithal or just... I don't even know how, what is the pivot you took it from Skyblocks, this like Wi-Fi marketing company, into Scout Mob, which then explodes. Can you kind of go across that whole pivot? L- looks like you were on uh, LinkedIn recently or something. Uh, you dug up some old articles, Mr. Tavani. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think the 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 main driver for me personally was I just didn't want like like I my kind of uh, intro joke is that I was in the entrepreneurial closet for the first 27 years of my life. I was kind of a an entrepreneur and didn't know it until I was 27. Mm-hmm. Everything that I had ever done, every every you know uh, every vein in my body is entrepreneurial. But I didn't. No one was telling me this wasn't like an option pre 27 years old. Uh, so I think. Skyblocks, what you were specifically calling, which was really my first kind of real startup that I was working on with Dave. Um, it was better than like this first idea that I had pre, pre Skyblocks, but it wasn't a business yet. Uh, we were spending more on it than we were making on it. Mm-hmm. And so uh, at some point, yes, it's going to come close to hitting the ground and just exploding. Uh, but I didn't want to, I even both of us felt this way, like I'm going to start companies for the rest of my life. It's that's easier for me to say now than it was then. But even then it was this fear of, am I going to have to go like get a job and stop doing this? Like I'm having so much fun doing this and this is what I'm supposed to be doing that like you just figure out a way to kind of make it happen. So I think my main driver was fear of hmm. when, when, so the, the, the quick, quick story of Skyblocks was Dave and I were working on it for probably a year and a half. And we got to this point where it it wasn't working. It wasn't good enough. And we kind of had to like let our two employees go. And, and, you know, and we kind of were walking around Inman Park after lunch one day. And we both said to each other, I, we, let's, let's give it three more months. Like we got three more months. Let's try to make it happen. And if we can't make it happen, we'll see. Well, you know, maybe, maybe we have to go get jobs or something. But we got about three more months. 
And in that three month period of time, when your back's against the wall, when you're scared about having to go get a job, uh, we, we had the idea for Scout Mob during that three month period of time and we kind of made it happen. How does the idea like bloom? Do you look at like, cause a lot of times I hear the best companies are fixing a problem or filling a void. Were you guys looking for voids in the industry? Yeah, I, I think I don't think any startup ideas are ever um, this glorious. Like I was driving my car and it just hit me. You know, it never it never is that perfect. Uh-huh. Uh, our idea for Scout Mob was a year and a half of skyblocks of like running up against a brick wall and not getting over it. And but learning a lot of valuable lessons along the way and then cobbling those lessons together, you know, like ah, this, this didn't work with Skyblocks. If we did it this way, it might work with a new thing. Uh, this other company's doing this. That's kind of interesting. Could we take that, that one little piece and put it on top? And so for Skyblocks, the three or sorry, for Scout Mob, the three elements that we kind of combined were and, and Skyblocks was working with local businesses. So we were learning what was working and not working hmm. with, with local businesses and so I think oftentimes when you read any startup story, what's left out is that if you consider Skyblocks as just V1 of Scout Mob, it was a different name and it was a kind of a different company, but it was really the exact same thing. It was the same founders and we were working in the same place and really nothing changed except for the name and the idea a little bit. So, so it was a year and a half before that. Scout Mob took off from day one, it, it, but if you include the year and a half before that, it took a year and a half to kind of figure it out. And so, you know, we were just combining a few different elements. We had seen what Groupon was doing out of Chicago. We saw them really early because Skyblocks hired an employee in Chicago to, to sell Skyblocks. And, and she calls us one day and says, I've heard of this company, Groupon. They're doing some interesting stuff. So, so that was interesting. No one had heard of it yet outside of Chicago, and we kind of liked that. So we took a piece of that. We took a piece from Thrillist and Daily Candy, which were doing content over email daily, and so that was kind of interesting, kind of what to do things in, in, in a city. And so we, we loved content. So we combined those two things. There was a company called Eight Coupons out of New York, which never made a go of it. But they were doing kind of mobile deals over like text message. We liked that part. Hmm. And then we added, so it was those three pieces. And then we added a twist of our own, which was let's make it free for the consumer. The consumer does, won't pay for these deals at all, which you were on Groupon. And that twist was kind of our, our big difference. And then, and then on top of all that, you throw in like a great brand. And I would argue that brand alone doesn't make a company. If you're in a commodity space, maybe it does. But most spaces aren't commodity spaces. You know, Scout Mob was not a commodity space. So brand is kind of an amplifier. Your product has to be something. So if your product is a zero, you can't amplify zero. You know, something <laughs> times zero is going to be zero. So yeah. our product was really good. Our brand was really good. And that made for a company that, you know, that raised venture money and, and had a few million users. Yeah. And the first people you hired were designers. So you knew from day one, like this is important. Yeah. I just had this conversation yesterday uh, with a startup in town that's that's wanting to like really amp up their their kind of brand. Uh, Dave and I cared a lot about brand. I think, you know, at the core, I'm a I'm a brand guy. Uh, I'm a designer at, at the core. And so I think um, even though we're founders, I think that's the part of the business that we are going to be good at. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's that's what we did with Switchyards. That's always been kind of the focus. Um, and so, uh, yeah, the first two people we hired were a copywriter and a graphic designer. And they were fantastic. And they they but we also gave them this platform. They were extremely good. We gave them a platform of, of a really good product and a really good idea to kind of keep them focused on that and just you you do your thing. And that created a magical brand. So we so I've seen founders, I think founders have to lean into whatever they're good at. So hmm. if you're good at storytelling, you lean into storytelling. If you're good at brand, you lean into brand. If you're good at metrics, you lean into metrics. I'm good at brand, so I'm gonna I'm gonna start every company with a brand uh, bent and then figure out the other stuff. I'm I'm not a uh, finance guy. I'm not a numbers guy. I'm not a data guy. I'm a brand guy. And so that's going to be the thing that I'm really good at. And hopefully I'm good enough at it that I can get my thing to the next level. And then you attract people who can fill the gaps of things you're not good at. What is the best way to attract people? Momentum, traction, every, mm. you know, what's the most attractive thing in the world for startups. It's real progress. Consumer, I'll go, I'll one up that consumer startups have a huge benefit because consumers can touch it. So right now, if I'm selling, 
if I'm on this podcast talking about some kind of internet security product, um, you know, your listeners are just, it's not nearly as exciting to, to talk about how we've innovated in like internet security because that might ultimately help you, but it's hard, it's not tangible and you can't use it as a consumer. Consumer products with traction are things that I could say, hey, Joel, check this out. Like you can, it's on your phone right now. You can buy it right now. Like check out this website. And so uh, Scout Mob was a consumer product. And so we had the easiest time hiring always at Scout Mob because uh, I would say the majority of people that we hired were users of Scout Mob and they were dying to work at Scout Mob because they had used it before. And so there's no better kind of sales pitch on an employee at a startup that doesn't always have the most funds or resources. Um, but what they have is, is you know, what, what startups have is you're selling the dream. And then if they've used the product before, you don't even have to sell them on the dream. So people would send, you know, cakes and cookies and donuts mm. and life-size cutout, you know, uh, posters of themselves to the office because they wanted the job so bad because they had used it. And they realized, like, there's not many companies in Atlanta that have that culture, and I want to kind of work there. How about advertising? Because when you guys didn't even spend money on advertising at Scout Mob, and then at Skyblocks, you guys were featured in New York Times as being, like, the first company to ever raise money via Twitter. So it seems like you have some insight into that whole aspect as well. Yeah, I mean, we never did advertising. I think what used to be advertising in the, in the Mad Men era uh, in the 50s, 60s, 70s, put up billboards, do a radio spot, do a Super Bowl commercial. What used to be that has now been replaced by, you know, Instagram and Twitter and being creative and video and, and viral stuff and all that. So uh, the the Skyblock story when we were in the New York Times um, is Dave had this idea. Uh, we were raising a little bit of money for, for the idea of Skyblocks, uh, which actually we were raising money for Scout Mob, but it was still the company at the time was still called Skyblocks. Hmm. And, uh, and so we decided, is there, is there, we're, we're not raising enough money to make any like noise, you know, like, you know, they, they cover big funding announcements if you raise millions of dollars or whatever, but if you're raising like a hundred thousand dollars that, that doesn't register anyone. And so we were thinking of creative ways to get that word out. And Twitter was pretty new. There was a company in Atlanta that was actually doing, you could transfer money almost in a Venmo like way over Twitter. And we found out that, so we were like, that, this will be brilliant. Let's do this. Apparently, there's all kinds of like SEC regulations that you're not supposed to do this. But, but let's go with this for a second. And so we basically had the idea of um, you could only transfer $1,000 max. And so we didn't want to transfer 1000 because that looked like we were only raising 1000 So we basically said, we're going to transfer the first $10 over Twitter. It was an absolute PR stunt. <laughs> It was, it would deserve no credit at all, but it was pretty innovative. And yeah. uh, now that I'm actually saying it, it was, it was like super scrappy and creative for a company that like no one cares about. Mm -hmm. And so we flat out do a press release. This is in 2000, uh, summer of 2009. We are sitting at Octane Coffee on the West Side and we write up a press release, like an official press release and paid some service like $250 to kind of put it out on the wire. And the, the headline of the story is, this is the first company ever to raise financing over Twitter. We didn't ask anyone permission. We just did it. And we transferred like the first dollar over. And it was getting picked up, picked up, picked up. By the end of the day, three or four o'clock in the afternoon, New York Times picks it up. And, uh, and so, you know, it was a cool moment. Again, you need, you need small wins. Yeah. That didn't actually do anything for us other than we felt good about it. And it's like we're, we're pumped up to work the next week through the slog because mm -hmm. we kind of had that win. So it was a, it was a fun, fun kind of story. This is a good attention hack. It was. I mean, it didn't drive us any customers. And I think a lot of times with PR, uh, my big learning around PR is uh, I would argue that a lot of PR, it's not just getting a hit. Like Scout Mob got a ton of PR, all organic. We never had a PR person. Um, all the Scout Mob PR was uh, a CNN anchor who lives in Virginia Highland who used Scout Mob, who was like, um, I'm doing a segment on, you know, apps, you know, maybe, maybe these guys would do it. And so all the PR was organic that way. Hmm. What I have found out is that most stories that you read, and this is the, this is the jaded side of it. Most stories that you read are like driven by like a PR pro, right? Like, you know, when you read some organic story about a founder or whatever, 
it's like, you know, some PR pro was like push has been pushing that story for six months. And, mm. and this is a way to get, you know, company X like, you know, uh, attention. So the organic PR is the best PR and it, it always feels better that way getting it. Um, but the thing is, is we would get it. I'll give you an example. We got like an article. We're flat out written up in like the USA Today. Like, oh, it's going to be amazing. Zero customers from it. Because Scout Mob was only in 13 cities. We were in a lot of the biggest cities in the country. But if you're reading that article in a, in a hotel in Omaha, Nebraska, you can't even use Scout Mob because we weren't in that city. And, uh, and so the conversion of a lot of PR is like not great. I think the best PR that you could possibly get, it's, it, the timing is perfect. Your product is there. And so when, go, going back to the Skyblocks example, we hadn't even launched Scout Mob yet. So you kind of get this PR, but there's nothing actionable for it. There's nothing for people to do with it. But it was fun, right. and we felt good about it. And sometimes, you know, the morale of the founders is as important as anyone else. Well, you guys would run around the city hanging up signs for Scout Mob too, like doing almost guerrilla marketing. Yeah, I mean, you know, you 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 don't have any money, and you're trying to do scrappy stuff. <laughs> and that story that you just talked about um, in January of 2010, right before we launched Scout Mob. So no one knows about this company. We haven't even launched it yet. And, you know, we have this crackpot idea and it wasn't like a, it, it wasn't a hugely successful idea, but for 25 people, this idea was, was hugely impactful. So the idea was let's post uh, some signs on like telephone poles that say, Hey, scout, take a photo here. And it, it never said scout mob anywhere on the sign. It was just kind of a spray painted sign that I, you know, that I made 25 of them and we hung them up around uh, different locations around town, Decatur, Inman Park you know, downtown, Buckhead, wherever. And then we sent out a blog post and said, hey, any users of Scout Mob, uh, we're about to launch. Anyone who takes a picture um, in below this sign, underneath this sign, we'll invite you to our launch party. Hmm. And 25 people did it. And those people got invited to our launch party and we were a small company. But I remember that for those 25 people, they thought we were, you know, Uber or Instagram, they, you know, the, neither of those companies existed at the time, but they thought we were, we were gold to them. Like, like they, they took a picture in front of this sign, they emailed it to us and they got invited to this launch party and we had a fun launch party, Baton Bob was there and it was a small little launch party. But for those 25 people, like we were the best company in the city. And that's the kind of stuff that you do in the early days. And I think like sometimes, you know, you don't become Apple, like you don't do, you don't, just immediately do Super Bowl commercials. You do small little campaigns that are free that, that, you know, get you 10 people like hooked or 25 people hooked. And then eventually, you know, hopefully those campaigns will scale up from there. Um, but, but at the time that was a huge success. Yeah, I love how you said they took a picture and then emailed it. There was yeah. no tagging. There was no hashtagging. No, no. See, how, it's it's amazing. You developed this app almost before apps are even like a savvy business move yeah. or whatever. So we started developing the app in 2009 and we launched January 13th, 2010. What people don't realize at that time, and like it's hard to believe now where everyone has these fancy computers in their pocket, but what's hard to imagine then is most people did not have a smartphone at that time. The average person didn't have a smartphone. You, you kind of had to be like ahead of the curve. Like my, you know, just as an example, and I'm not saying my mom was, was a savvy young millennial, but the average person like her, she had like a flip phone in, in 2010 when we launched 20, 2009. And so I remember we had this conversation, like we have to have a product. We can't just be for this small group of people that has like a fancy phone. We have to be, and by the way, like, even if you had that fancy phone, did you have our app? And so we created a product where you could actually text you could type in your phone number. Hmm. And this was actually the most popular part of Scout Mob for a port for probably the first six months of the company. You go to a website, scoutmob.com, and you type in your cell phone number, and we will text you a unique code that you then tell the merchant this code, 0738. And that code gave you the discount at the restaurant. And that's what eight coupons that company in New York was doing. And so we oh, took that wow. idea from them. And, and so that was purely to hit the non- you know, iPhone having crowd. And we didn't have a, an Android app and Android wasn't big that, that big at the time anyway. So it was like we had an iPhone app, which we were, we weren't like one of the first iPhone apps, but we were definitely on the early end of companies, you know, doing iPhone apps very early. And then, and then we had, you know, half of our users were using, you know, on flip phones, just like a text code. And then very, very quickly, 
it was like all iPhone and then eventually all Android, you know, Android as well. So, uh, yeah, we were on the early end. And I mean, here's what's crazy is to, to this point, and I think there's like some good lessons. S like the stuff, technology is moving so fast nowadays. So w I know Snapchat's been around for a few years. Stories launched, what, a year ago? I don't yeah. know the exact timeline, but not very long not ago. Not very long ago, yeah. Um, and every day Instagram's launching, you know, new ways, you know, new things, right? So the tools that people are using today, I, I know YouTube's been around since, you know, uh, maybe for 10 years, but the way people are using it is changing every every month, every year. And so the, the you know, I mentioned email and that was right, it was email. Like just seven years ago, it was like email in your your thing. You know, it wasn't hashtags, it wasn't this. You know, there was a period of time where it was all Twitter, like for us as a business, like Scout Mob was all, like our only platform, social platform was Twitter. And like, we barely had an Instagram account. It was kind of like we were taking a flyer on that. And so um, I remember um, kind of a, an agency came in one time and they're pitching us on uh, Pinterest. And they're saying, you know, this Pinterest is where everyone's at. And you, you kind of realize that the second that everyone thinks that Pinterest is where it's at, it becomes oversaturated and then it's not where it's at. Uh -huh. And so as a startup, you need to be maybe where people aren't. Sometimes you need to be ahead of the curve. By the time you've heard about it from like an agency tell, pitching you that that's where you should be, it's probably like too late or it's oversaturated or the, the ROI that you're hoping to get on a small, you know, investment of time or money is maybe not going to be there. And so... Um, I'm most fascinated as an entrepreneur, as a disruptor, you know, someone who likes to see what other people aren't seeing. Yeah. I'm most fascinated by, you know, God, there's got to be a different way to do it. Or maybe, you know, how can you use this in a different way? And so I think there's constantly people who are using these platforms in a way that no one's done it before. If you're copying someone else, it's like it's likely not going to work. You got to put your own spin on it. What are you seeing kind of as the next wave or do you see any upcoming disruptors? Yeah, so right now, uh, what's today? Uh, 12, 15, mm -hmm. 2017, December 15, 2017. Uh, something is going on with stories and video. Some combination of Instagram stories and YouTube and some like merging of the two. So I, as a 38 year old guy, when, when stories came out, I love Instagram. And when stories came out, I'm like, oh, man, now, now this is another, like, thing that I have to, like, worry about for, like, you know, like, I have to spend more time on something. And, it, and the more time I spend on it, it's only going to last for 25 hours or 24 hours, right? So, so I'm like, there's another thing I have to worry about. And it doesn't last very long. That's the old guy, you're like, <laughs> thinking. Uh, especially the 24 hours thing. It doesn't last very long. Mm -hmm. Now... What I've realized is the beauty of it is I, you know, now I spend very little time on stories. I, I spend very little time thinking through how perfect it is. And because it's meant to be raw and authentic and like no editing, no, you know, color correction, just like, you know, there's a few little filters, but it's just like snap the quick video and, and put it up there. And that has a, that tells a story that a beautiful edited photo cannot tell. So the, the, the photos tell a story on the wall because they're beautiful and you don't post, you're not going to post 10 of them in a day and you're definitely going to make sure to put the best filter on so that, you know, the background looks good and all that. That's not what stories is. So stories is telling something different. So I, I love that version of storytelling. And, and I don't even think we, like, we have scratched the surface yet on what that can be. And then I'm super fascinated by YouTube. So I used to make videos in middle school, high school, and college. I used to love huh. making videos pre YouTube, pre you know iPhones, pre You're doing like sketches, little or? sketches, Saturday yeah. Night Live sketches okay. that were terrible. And this was this was like <laughs> I, I was the guy who borrowed my dad's video camera, and barely any dads even had a video camera. My dad liked video cameras, and then I would steal his camera, and then I'd film little videos with my friends on VHS tapes, and and I was limited at the time to inviting my five friends over and being like, check out my video. And so my audience ever could only be five friends at a time. And I, the thrill of like my friends seeing the videos was, was amazing, right? Mm -hmm. There was nothing better than that. Well, now, you know, YouTube launched. So I, so I, I kind of quit doing videos post-college. I always liked it, but, you know, I focused on other things, starting companies Law or whatever. School. Yeah, and I quit doing videos. And now I'm kind of like, man, now's the golden era of doing little videos like, you know, from your phone practically. Yeah. So 
I'm fascinated by Casey Neistat. Um, I mean, you know, I know, I know a lot of people are, uh, but I, I've literally watched every single video he's done, and he's an absolute like genius. Like his storytelling is amazing, and there's others that are doing stuff like that too on YouTube. And so, there's something going on now. You can't copy Casey Neistat. He has what people don't what people don't realize about him. You know who he is, right? Oh, absolutely. What people don't yeah. realize about him is that he was honing his craft for ten years, doing doing stuff and not making money doing skits that I was doing in high school and in middle school, he was doing that as a 20 something. Mm -hmm. And in New York where he had lots of content and lots of friends that were doing stuff like him, not making any money doing it and eventually started making money doing it. But he was, he's been honing his craft to learn this form of storytelling for 10 years. So you don't just wake up and like get good at that. No. Yeah. And he also has a unique thing, which I see lots of people try to do vlogs like that. You got to do a different style. Cause like you'll never you'll never do his style better than him. He's the best in the world at that style. So I think a lot. I'm going off on a tangent, but you got to be the best in the world at the thing that you're the best in the world at. So, and that can be a small thing, but you have to like own it. For him, it was doing these like gritty, shaky camera, sometimes shot on your iPhone. Him always in the videos, like whatever camera he has on him at the time is the best camera in the world. And he's just filming his kind of life and editing it in a way and storytelling it in a way. And, you know, he lives in New York, so you can't copy that. But you got to find your thing that you're the best in the world at. And I think, you know, he's honed it and he's the best in the world at that form of storytelling. And that's a captivating form of storytelling. So anyway, back to video stories and YouTube. Those two platforms are fascinating me so much. Um, I, I cut the cord recently, so I, I have no cable. I'm watching YouTube videos. I'm watching Netflix, but mo mostly YouTube videos. And on my phone, you know, or on my iPad, and barely on my TV anymore. Yeah. And so something's going on right there, and I feel like we haven't scratched the surface. So I'm excited about that. And and I, I, I almost in some ways, I feel like I'm overthinking it. I, I want to just dive in and kind of hone I don't even know what I want to do with it, but I, I want to be, I don't want to be on the sidelines. I want to be in the arena playing in that world. Yeah. And so I want to dabble with some stuff. I've been thinking about it for a while, but haven't kind of done anything. I've been playing around a little bit, but I, I want to dive into that world. So maybe, maybe next year I'll do that. What dabbling, what do you mean by dabbling to stuff? What kind of stuff? I just we want to like experiment what, so when I say stuff, um, Switch yards, which we haven't talked that much about. That's this is my baby. Switch yards, my baby, yeah. and so I want to dabble in telling the story of switch yards in a unique way, in telling the story of Atlanta, which is a, a passion of mine and also synonymous with switch yards. I want to tell those two stories on on Instagram stories and on in and video in a in a way that I haven't figured out yet. But I think that's such a fascinating way to tell stories. And I don't just want to post videos. I want to do it in a way that is different and unique and in, in our kind of unique voice and in my unique voice. I haven't figured it out yet. So stay tuned, but but hmm. that's it's two areas that I'm thinking a lot about and I want to I want to incorporate into what we're doing at Switch Arts. For lack of a better term, could it be more like a reality show where you are highlighting the stories of the the up and comers here in the Switch Arts cuz it's fascinating the story of Switch Yards is amazing and what you're doing here is amazing. And the people here, you know, that's how I kind of got to you was interviewing some of the influential people working here that then I made it to the mountaintop with Michael Tavani here. But it's uh, maybe I know reality show can have a negative connotation, but maybe that kind of angle in on it. No, I, that's it's yeah, it's not a bad idea. I mean, I, I dig where you're going. I think um, this guy, Pete, who we work with at Switch Yards, um, he is, uh, has been featuring um, on this Instagram account called Founder Happy Yeah, Place. I follow them, yeah. He's been featuring um, founders that haven't made it, that are in like the slog and in the grind, which, by the way, is the 99% of founders. Mm -hmm. Like, we're in that slog. I'm in that slog. And so, and so as much as I love to hear the, the story of the successful founder, it's fun to hear uh, the story of the founder that's in it like you and I are. Mm -hmm. they're, hey, I don't have the answers, but here's like, here's a few lessons that I've, I'm learning or here's, here's what's just sucks lately or whatever. And so I actually think in some ways telling the stories of most people in switch arts are trying to make it happen, but haven't made it happen yet. And, and they have small wins, but they haven't had the big win yet. And so I think telling kind of the stories of the founders in it, in the arena is, um, is maybe compelling and interesting. And I think people would be interested in that. 
Uh, I think Atlanta uh, has, uh, there's, so creative loafing is, has been a staple in Atlanta for years. Um, it just went, you know, obviously there's, it's no secret that print and old school media, creative loafing, AJC, magazines, whatever, are struggling. And so who has told the story well, the story of Atlanta well over the last 50 years? It's been the Atlanta Journal and Constitution, Atlanta Magazine, and Creative Loafing. Those are three staples. And I would argue that AJC is a, it's owned by Cox, and so they're not going to go out of business. But we all know paper, newspapers are struggling. Creative Loafing's gone from weekly to monthly. Atlanta Magazine's probably, you know, its best days were probably behind it, even though I love it, still subscribe to it. But yeah. they're not telling the best stories probably in Atlanta anymore. They just don't have the budget to. So we're doing this podcast. Podcasters are, are now going to be telling the best stories. YouTubers are going to be telling the best stories of Atlanta. Now, the problem is you could, if, if I said, hey, Joel, um, spend 60 hours a week doing podcasts about Atlantans, this would be the best. This would be a top three Atlanta podcast within two months, yeah. three months. Yeah. But how are you going to pay for that? How are you going to pay the bills? And so that's the rub right now. You would love to probably do that. Or there's a lot of people that would love to do that. But they, but they can't. They have to do it as a side hustle or whatever, which means they can't be the best in the world at it. If you could focus on it full time, I know people that could be the best in the world at it. And, but they need to make money. And so I think right now how you kind of make money as a local, as a content creator, you know, YouTube and whatever are maybe ways, but that's for like the small mm-hmm. percent that are actually paying their bills on YouTube. And so, you know, I'm thinking about, I think we're thinking about at Switchyards, how do we, um, how could we, uh, monetize for content creators the stories of Atlanta, and so that's kind of personally what I'm thinking a little bit about. And I, I think if we if you could crack that, so just as an example, Scout Mob monetized local. Well, imagine pairing Scout Mob with um, content, local content in this way, in podcast, video, whatever. That might be a way to monetize, um, you know, uh, local content. You could almost monetize services as opposed to just like an event or like at a restaurant or whatever, maybe monetizing. There's a graphic designer here. They maybe have a 50% off deal like you guys did with Scout Mob Mm. for this amount of time that you could sign up for. We wearing the same hoodie? I was going to say that. It's a little awkward. Uh, Luckily, this isn't video. (laughs) (laughs) It's not video yet. We're working on that, though, because people got to people want to see. But we are wearing the same hoodie, I think. Nice. Is this nice. alternative apparel? Yeah. Yeah. The exact same hoodie. Nice. That's nice. so romantic. You know, it's funny. I have three <laughs> colors, and I was debating which one to wear, and I chose this one. It was meant to be, Joel. It was. This whole thing was. Uh, thank you so much for doing this, too, yeah. man. Um, we, will, we will land this plane, because I know <laughs> you have a, a couple important things to do, as you are pretty much the Gary Vaynerchuk of Atlanta. So that could be your show, actually. You could become... Gary Vaynerchuk. <laughs> By the way, Gary V. Like, I, some I've been critical of Gary V. Like, he has his shtick, but he's the best in the world at his shtick. Oh. So his shtick's not for everybody. Like, I, I like Gary V. I think he's he's too much with the hustle and whatever. And I want sometimes more substance. And hmm. I, you know, I'll like subscribe to his stuff and then unsubscribe like a month later, like frequently. But he's the best in the world at his shtick. And so I don't care what your shtick is, just be the best in the world at it. And yeah. He's really good at his thing. There's a big thing with risk involved in like you may be having a day job, but you have this shtick you really want to pursue. How, how do you calculate the risk or how do you know when it's time to make that leap? Like you said, jump out of the airplane yep. practically. Um, I, I have this slide that I have showed before. That's here's what people want the transition into starting something to be. And they want it to be this this glorious sunset dive off of the, you know, the cliff mm-hmm. and you do like a perfect like dive off of a hundred foot cliff and you land in the water and there's no splash. That's what you want the dive to look like in your head. That's what it looks like in your head. What it actually looks like is you jumping off like a little diving board into a kid's pool and you land like three feet onto your like stomach and it's painful and it hurts. It's never like an easy transition. Like I think founder or so people that are working a full-time job, and they're doing side hustle and they want to make that transition, it's never going to be a clean break. There's never a good time to launch something, start something, whatever. Hmm. Um, I remember my uh, one little small anecdote. My wife, like 10 years ago, I was running a marathon. I'm, I sh- st- signed up for the Chicago Marathon. And she's like, I'm not going to do it. I'm too busy. And she didn't do it. And then I, the day of the marathon, like I finished and she was like, 
ah, man, I should have done it. Like, I thought I was too busy. I thought, you know, it wasn't a good time and I had something going on at work or whatever, but I should have done it. It's never a good time to do it. You just have to do it. Uh, It's never a good time to quit your full-time job where you have benefits and a salary and you're making money for a a job that's not paying the same money, that doesn't have benefits, that doesn't have a salary, all that kind of stuff. It's never a good time. I mean, I think you could de-risk it a little bit where you you try to do it at night, you get it going, because there's a period of time of just seeing what is even going on here. Do I have anything? But you're never going to time it perfectly where in my off hours I get it ramped up this much and then I come right at this point and there's barely, it's a seamless transition. Mm -hmm. So I think you just kind of have to make make the plunge. The hard part is whatever you're working on as a side hustle, someone else is working on as an 80-hour week hustle. And so... So, and, and by the way, someone, a hundred people, whatever idea, every idea that anyone's working on, there's at least a hundred, maybe a thousand people throughout the country working on that exact same idea. And, and I think you need that thought running through your head. Definitely. If you're working on it 10 hours a week, they're working on it 80 hours a week. If you're working on it 80 hours a week, they're working on it hundred hours a week. I think you need that thought. That thought needs to be driving you a little bit because, you know, you're not the only one and it's competitive and someone else is going to do it. So, you know, you, you got to. So I think those are things that you need to keep in mind sometimes when you're doing the side hustle. But I love side hustle. I think it's a great way to jump into something initially. Well, this is this has been amazing, man. This has been a goal of mine since almost really starting this podcast is just sitting down with you. Actually, I heard about Switch Yards first. You guys won the best podcast of Atlanta in Creative Loafing. And I was like, what is Switch Yards? And I looked into Switch Yards and I was like, well, I want to become the best podcast in Atlanta, which I was actually able to do last year. So then I was like, well, did you last year? Yeah. Nice. So it's then looking at, okay, how did they do this? Who is involved in this? And then just doing this. And it's been amazing. You're a believer in Atlanta. I'm a believer in Atlanta. I love the opportunity that's going on here. That's why I'm still here and haven't moved to like LA or New York to try to start over. Just building the foundation here in Atlanta. Yep. I mean, I bet the same applies for comedy that, you know, or, or, or if that's the industry that you consider yourself in, comedy yeah. or entertainment or whatever. Stand-up comedian, yeah. yeah. The same applies for that, um, that does for like B2C startups, which is, I think historically, if you wanted to be a stand-up comedian, Atlanta, not a great town. Historically, you want to start a consumer startup, Atlanta, not a great town. I would argue nowadays more than ever, you can, if you're good, you find a way. You, you, you do podcasts, mm-hmm. you do, like you can do a podcast from anywhere in the world. Like you, you don't have to be in the epicenter. You can do YouTube videos from anywhere in the world. I see, I see people on YouTube that are doing them from Salt Lake City, from small towns, from, you know, from even cities, whatever, Toronto, which are big cities, but they're not New York. They're not, you know, L.A. And so you can make it happen from anywhere. B2C startups, Atlanta is not the reason uh, why your startup's not working. Like your startup's not, it wouldn't have been good enough, you know, in San Francisco either. And so yeah. what I kind of like about the opportunity of Atlanta is that if you make it happen here, it's more meaningful. And and not many people are doing it, and you have to find a different path. You can't follow the old school path. But nowadays, we have these tools, and we're looking at these tools on the table right now that we didn't have 50 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. And so um, so it's possible. Like, you can make it from here, yeah. but you gotta you got to write your own playbook. You know, you can't play the old school playbook because it's hard. If, if you need to be in person shaking hands with people – that's the old school playbook. If you need to, you know, but with podcasts and video and all that stuff, you can you can make it happen from here. Well, thanks for making this happen, man. Yeah. Uh, before we get out of here, is there anything else you want the world to know? I don't think so. I think um, you know we're we're uh, we're trying to do some interesting stuff with Switch Yards, and so that's kind of that's my baby. That's kind of my platform right now, and so um, so yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, I think all all the, the ideas that I have will will funnel through through switch yards. So hopefully we make, make uh, the city proud and create something meaningful um, for downtown and for, for the city. So that's kind of our goal. This is a long play. The way I say it is we're kind of, we bought this like, you know, old building in downtown Atlanta and we're in the second inning of the game. And so we got, you know, we got a long way to go. We have a lot of work to go. We haven't even come close to making it happen yet, but I think some good things are happening. Well, Michael Tavani, yeah. thanks for being on Hot Breath. Thanks, Joel. Appreciate it. Yeah. Enjoyed it. Yeah. Woo. Kaboom. There you go, hot brethren and sistren. Thank you for hanging out. Just 
one more minute of your time here in this outro. I truly enjoyed having you aboard. I truly enjoyed Michael's feedback, especially on the whole grassroots movement to actually build up Scout Mob downtown. That was a really cool hands-on insight that he provided. I think a lot of us could apply to us trying to build our own brands beyond just the branding, but actually how to execute. So that was my favorite part. I would love, 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 love to hear what your favorite part was. Maybe hit me up on social media at Joel Byers Comedy or at Hot Breath Pod. I'm also on Facebook, you know, Instagram, Twitter, all that jazzercise. Let's hang out. Let's link up. Share it with people. Let them maybe know what you thought it was. If you know somebody building a business, this is a perfect interview they need to hear. But otherwise, we release these every single Monday at 8 a.m. If this is your first one, there's over 100 others you can go back and listen to. I really do appreciate your support and even just love the listens. They make me smile. They make my heart smile. So if you do want to kind of contribute to the podcast, an iTunes review really goes a long way as opposed to just you know sharing it on social media, but actually voting for it on iTunes, giving it that five-star review helps us get that extra needed exposure to new ears. And also have a Patreon page called patreon.com slash hotbreathpod. If you would like to actually contribute financially, that helps me with, you know, upkeep. And what I've calculated is about 10 to 15 hours per episode from idea to finish, from researching to travel to doing the interviews to it's just it adds up really quickly. So that's just something I started doing here specifically in 2018 as we're, you know, we're trying to become professional here, and with your help, we can make that possible. But I say all that to say, at the end of the day, it's your ears I value most. So thank you for sharing them. If you want to see me live and actually hear me being funny, I'm at Java Monkey Indicator, Georgia, every single Wednesday, 8 p.m. in the Java Monkey heated patio. It's in downtown Decatur Square. I've been doing the show for six years. Come on out. Atlanta comedy scene is one of the best in the country. Come on out and get a free dose of laughter every Wednesday. Boom. I'm excited. So let's get out of here. Get on with your days or mornings or nights, wherever this found you, hot brother and sister, and I appreciate you. I also have to say thank you to my engineer, Amon Garner. He keeps these sounding crystal clear. Contact him on Facebook, Amon Garner, if you need any audio needs. A lot of people have been reaching out to me about how the audio sounds so good. Boom. That's the man with the plan. And of course, the woe man, with the plan, I have to thank my wife, Erin Byers. She's in the other room smiling as she hears me do this because I have thanked her every single episode because she made the theme song, and without her, this would not be possible. So thank you, and thank you for watching on Instagram Live right now as we're doing this outro. And until next Monday, right here on Hot Breath. Oh, <sighs> <sighs>